I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome, friends, to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Book podcast on the Be Here Now Network with David Nickturn. My name is Michael Cammers. I am David's student and co-producer of this podcast. And in these David's Views episodes, we, uh, we have discussion on topics around mindfulness and dharma. And we'd like to welcome you and welcome David. That was tricky to say, David's Fuse episodes, right? A lot of S's in there. Yeah. We have something, don't we, in the recording business called a de-esser? It's true. Yeah, because S is a tricky sound. S. It creates a lot of uh, vibration. So, um, you know, Michael and I are both musicians. Um Perhaps it's our main language. I've been thinking about this lately, Michael. It's, uh, 
you know, you learn different languages like French and English and Japanese, but music is the same language the whole world over. You actually don't have to learn a new language to play music with a friend from Japan. And for example, I have played uh, music in Japan with Japanese bluegrass musicians. And uh, some of them know the words to the songs and they even sing it with a Southern accent, but they don't speak English at all. So even speech has a vibrational aspect to it that is um, uh, general. And my guess, and then if you remember from uh, the movie um, Close Encounters, they used a musical sequence to communicate across uh, not just international, but interplanetary uh, boundaries. Remember that? I, I hope we don't get um, uh, copyright infringement for me singing that melody. I think it's pretty brief. I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen that one, I think, since the 80s when I was quite young. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't have a clear recollection of it, but as far as like my my early training as a musician, uh, there's some amazing monologues by Sun Ra in Space is the Place. Mm. And in one of them, he says that the entire universe is a song and we're all playing mm. our part. Your music too, in this vast orchestra of the cosmos. <gasps> Be still my heart. You know, I think that we're, we meant to start with the first of the three R's, but I think in our usual sort of <laughs> rambling manner, we've actually stumbled into the third of the three R's. And as we usually do, I think we should just go along with it. And the third one is resonance, because we seem to be talking about resonance now already. What do you think? Should we just go with that? I think I think we are going with it. Yeah. Can you rename it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, so... Of course, now that we're talking about intentionally talking about resonance, we'll probably accidentally talk about resilience. <laughs> but that also, maybe that's even a better topic, um, which is just accident. Ooh. You know, we do everything on purpose. We, try, we think we're doing everything on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have people like Sun Ra and great jazz musicians who worship the accident. They revere the accident. And um, even in music, uh, some of the notes that are not the predictable notes, not the, on the, not the white keys on the piano, but the, the black keys on the piano, are called accidentals, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I haven't thought about that in so long. <laughs> Why are they called accidentals? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Oh, my finger slipped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the other keys now. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the difference between doing something on purpose and uh, being open to the kind of freshness of accidental possibilities is um, from the point of view of meditation, I think is really an interesting topic because there's so much precision in, in, in the Buddhist tradition. In any case, you're almost never just go telling someone, just go do whatever the hell you want. You know, it's interesting that if a teacher gave you that instruction, you'd go like, eh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I didn't hear him right or hear her right. You know, um, it's always pretty precise, even meditation instructions that are meant to open the gateway to a very spontaneous, uh, fluid state of mind. The instructions are usually pretty well articulated for even for that. For example, Michael Cameras, we have an instruction called aimless wandering. Have you ever done aimless wandering? 
You know, we talked about this in the container a while ago, and uh, I've engaged in it a little bit, tiny bit. And like, yeah. I'll just be walking around and I'll think about it, and then I'll just, I'll just go about. And when you drop the agenda, wow, the whole moment just kind of opens up as it is. You know, sort of like in our also in our meditation instruction when we say eyes open, it's like seeing without looking. Which sounds like a koan to itself, but like if you're just seeing and you're not like, I've got to get through A, B, and C on my laundry list, um, you're just seeing and being with things as they are a little more. Seeing and being with things as they are. 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 Yeah, it's, um, you know, our dearly loved, wonderful friend and teacher, Ramdas, in the last couple of years of the retreats that, that uh, he sponsored in Maui that we would go to, would just say, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. And he would have us all chant that. And there was no explanation or, you know, you're supposed to think this or think that. Um, so when you say seeing and being, you could just do it, but it might raise the question. And those of us who are used to being a little more active with our identification process of what the heck's going on, go, what, who's loving awareness? And also, what is awareness? What's love? But he was not coming from that perspective anymore at that point. He was just saying, you know. Somewhere in you, you just know. You can just say this and, re and return to that that's, that's seeing and being. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, when they say be here now, in the Tantra, you know, in Buddhist Tantra, there's very, very, again, precise instructions for being here now um, for example, one of them is the use of what's called pure perception. We've talked about that, right? Pure perception. A little bit. I think we've touched on it. And that's the idea of just seeing without evaluating, hearing without analyzing, smelling without categorizing, feeling without manipulating. And uh, that the realm of pure perception is actually accessed through certain meditation instructions, for example, if we give the instruction, just breathe out and dissolve into, into space, which was an instruction that Trungpa Rinpoche gave quite frequently to even beginning meditators. Yeah, feel the breath, but as it goes out, just dissolve out into space. Your sense of identity dissolves. Your sense of effort, your sense of any particular practice dissolves and stays dissolved while you naturally in inhale. And then you breathe out again with some intention and some focus, and then dissolves again into into the space. Um, of course, then the more uh, you know evolved version of that is just um, drop uh, even that much effort and intention, and just uh, you you could say just uh, you could say it's no instruction, but it's instruction for no instruction, which is 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 more specific which is don't um and that could be said as uh you know don't meditate actually that instruction uh don't meditate also uh don't wander which is interesting because 
you think of meditating is the art of non-wandering, but it says don't wander. And then um, don't uh, fabricate anything. Those three. So that would be like a little bit like sitting on a very electrified kind of, you know, every time you wander, you think, I, I, I didn't do it right. Or every time that you, um, you know, fabricate something, you know, you have a thought about lunch or something like that or, or your relationship. Um, and every time you try to meditate, you have violated those instructions. But the point of those instructions is, is, is just be and, uh, and also to um, rest in the pure uh, experience of the sense perceptions as they, as they arise without, without any kind of categorization. So that's hard. We're, we're used to doing stuff, aren't we? Certainly are. Yeah. Yeah. We're not that used to uh, not doing stuff. We could say more than used to it, even like addicted to it, mm. you know, because we do it so much, it doesn't serve our well-being, but we keep doing it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and then Mike, you know, some things you got to do, right? I mean, it's like uh, if I, if... um. Like, for example, my car today, because it's so cold that air pressure goes down in the tires. For those of you who are much more knowledgeable and skillful at these kind of things, you probably pump your tires up higher in the winter. I got to do that now after observing the effect, um, which is that my little light is going on saying, you know, you've got low tire pressure. So I've got to make a point of going, I've got to remember this. I've got to go to the gas station in this freezing cold weather. Put remember to bring quarters, put them into the into the uh air pressure machine and uh and take out my little gauge so that I don't overinflate them and I get the right and I balance the tires. And that's something to do, isn't it? You can't just not do that. Well, perhaps we could do those things from the state of being of being and seeing right so like is that is that why we practice to bring this sense of uh you know unconditioned awareness however you want to say it or loving awareness into our actions when we inevitably are brought into contact with the world well i think this is like you know you know we've talked about the 64 dollar question which tells you how old i am because that used to be the tv show was a 64 dollar question then mysteriously, probably a decade later, it became the $64,000 question. And probably now it would just be Shark Tank or something like that. <laughs> the 64 NFT Billion. Bitcoin question. Bitcoin question. <laughs> so you're posing a question which I think is, you know, people have contemplated. I personally anyhow have contemplated. Is it possible to be in a very open state of awareness and still have the kind of wherewithal, the intention, the the calibration to go fill your tires properly. Now, my teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, said definitely there's no enlightenment ward. There's no like hospital for people who are enlightened because they can't fill their tires or brush their teeth. However, in certain states... For example, what comes to mind is the uh, oracle, the um, Nechong oracle, who serves the Dalai Lama and goes into trance states, which are very high vibrational states and extraterrestrial, so he can see details about stuff that's coming up. 
he told the Dalai Lama to leave Tibet in one chant, uh, in, in one uh, encounter. Would I hire that oracle in full trance state to um, go out and get gas for my car because I had a 15 minute break and I needed it done? What if the oracle told you that you need to go <laughs> fill up your gas tank? Uh, I'm, your, I'm your oracle, David. You can pay me by the hour. Remember to get your quarters and fill up your tires a little more than you would yeah. if the weather is cold. <laughs> well, and, and seriously, since it's such a big part of our Dharma Moon platform and, and, and view, is that you can, you can have this kind of spacious mind, this kind of un, unfabricated awareness and still at the same time function in everyday life. And we're actually, we have it up on our website and we're actually pitching that to people. What if we're not right? <laughs> what if there are certain states of awareness um, in which your ability to function at that temporal level is severely hampered or irrelevant? As a professional musician, I can say for certain that I've been in states <laughs> of awareness like that. But I, well, well, wait a minute. Go ahead and say more about that. Let's explore that. Okay. Well, I mean, I was more speaking of like sort of uh, states induced by plant allies. But um, uh, okay, and playing well, music at the same time. Oh yeah. I mean, as a younger man, I, I things have shifted dramatically for me as I've moved into middle age and developed a practice of endeavoring to inhabit my experience as it is, but. I, what you were talking about made me think about prajna and upaya, mm. right? And I mean, to bring some, some dharma words. Tell, into, tell everybody what that means. So prajna is, I'm going to use a technical definition. It's the dharma, it's the mental factor that sees dharmas in their true nature. It sees mm. reality as it is. That's right? badass, Michael. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the book that I read where I Yeah, got but it. even the fact that you read such a book is badass. Wow, I mean, what a we have a mental factor in our psychology according to the Abhidharma or the Buddhist psychology as we call it that that is part of our our mental faculties and through our meditation practice through shamatha the placement of attention and calm abiding the vipassana clear seeing experience can arise from it and from that prajna clear seeing and skillful means so perhaps if we can see clearly we can act skillfully oh you, so these things thread together because you're talking about prajna and upaya, right? Which is skillful means that one is dependent on the other is what you're saying. There's no upaya without prajna is what you're saying. You can't, you don't just get lucky as we say going out on your first date, you know? Well, it, as a musician, I've heard that luck is the combination of, uh, well, success is luck and preparedness, right? So that's another pair in a way. <laughs> But yeah, it's in seeing clearly we can act more skillfully, right? So if oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. in seeing clearly we can act more skillfully. Is there another component to acting skillfully? Seeing clearly is one. What would another component be? Is there one? Well, I mean the the trifecta comes to mind that I was talking about with my uh, our mutual friend Alex. Um, 
see mm-hmm. clearly, know what is, and act skillfully. What's what's that one? <laughs> yeah, um, that's from a um, Sadhana Mahamudra. That's where that's from by Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, but what about the importance of feeling? You know, I think when we say seeing. We're talking, this can bring us back to the pure perception, all of our sense perceptions. We're not, you know, like all of our sense perceptions and perhaps even our mental faculties, right? Because in uh, in Buddhism, when we talk about consciousness, there's a sixth mental consciousness, but that's getting a bit obtuse. But yeah, maybe seeing involves all of our sense perceptions and not just our eyes. But feeling. Something else. And I'm not sure it's even addressed in Abhidharma. Mm. You know, uh, what does it mean when you feel a resonance with somebody, something? And it would be prajna plus karuna, compassion, Mm. Mm. upaya, skillful means. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and c- compassion is the more elusive thing to describe because it it, it really isn't based on a, a grid of um, calibratable, ca- calibratable things or something. Um, I think of raw meat when I think of it, you know, like if you had, you went to a butcher shop and you poked, you know, a piece of liver or something like that, you just put your finger in it. And and then if you go another step, and now that cow is alive, and you're poking its liver and goes, you know, uh, you could say there's perceptual apparatus, and you'd be right, uh, and and how it's treated, how that information is treated. But there's some raw little uvula or, or you know, kind of a tender spot, G spot of the heart. It's like your heart has a G spot. And when you see something beautiful, you know, when you hear something beautiful, when you fall in love and, you know, maybe some Buddhists would discount that. Oh, that's just delusion. But then why, if that's true, is love and devotion the keystone of Vajrayana practice? You ever think about that? I mean, it's so cool up to then. Okay. Hinayana practice, just get clarity about the mind and what's going on. Mahayana see the habitual patterns that you have that make you resist recognizing interdependence with others. But in Vajrayana, you're supposed to fall in love with your teacher, actually. And it's also said to be unrequited love, which is, of course, the best kind of love. You know, you you are supposed to be able to feel that longing that will never be fulfilled because it cracks you open. So it's an interesting sequence as far as I'm concerned. And then what's Beyond that, I would say is a resonance field of of non differentiated source and object, in, in, which is diffuse, which is infused, infused with uh, clarity of perception, in recognition of interdependence, and and feeling tone that is just you know openly distributed throughout that entire entire mandala, that entire system. Um, and then, then what, you know, I don't know. Maybe that was there all along. Really possible that was what the basis was the whole time. 
Well, on that basis, perhaps we can all go and contemplate that wonderful exposition of the Dharma that you just laid out, David. We. We. (laughs) Oh, to include oneself in the circle of compassion. Maybe, you know, we could think of mindfulness as heartfulness. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting just this this could be the coda. We're both musicians, so we know we mean by a coda, but a little addendum afterward in in book writing. Um I have friends in that work for Headspace. I just said, I don't know, you guys must have thought of this before, but there's like you can't get much bigger than Headspace in terms of like introducing ideas about meditation and mindfulness. But I said there's a Sequel, like the B side of Headspace, would just be simply Heart Space. And um, I don't have the access or opportunity to talk to uh, the gentleman who would be able to uh, create that reality out of Headspace. But if anybody ever hears it, um, I just get my usual 85%. And that's, that's the way that goes. <laughs> On that note, we can close out. That 85% will be given to you with unrequited love. Thank you, David. (laughs) Yeah, and a note to to, to invoice my lawyer. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's good. Well, I have no idea what we're going to call this episode, but thank you. Okay. (laughs) You're welcome. Bye, everybody. Thank you.